You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. The explosion in popularity of electric vehicles has been noticeable in every part of this city over the past few years. Electric scooters and bicycles are being used for transportation, commerce, and recreation, and with their increasing numbers has been an increase in fires and emergencies involving lithium-ion batteries. The past few months in particular, we have seen numerous fires involving these batteries, which has necessitated this department to take steps to modify our operations, as well as increase awareness among our members and the public. With us today is Lieutenant John Cassidy of Hazmat Company One to discuss operations. Welcome, John. Good morning, Chief. Happy to have you here. I appreciate you taking the time to come sit with us. Give us a quick bio, you know, where you started on the fire department. I know what class you started in. We're in the same probing class. <laughs> yeah, February of 96, so we're coming up on 26 years. Yeah. I was a rotator. So I did 225 as my assigned house out of probing school. I was in 104 truck in Brooklyn, and I was in five engine in Manhattan. I entered Special Operations Command in Squad 270, and then eventually transferred to Hazmat 1 after the events of September 11th. In Hazmat 1, I've had the rank of firefighter and lieutenant. I bounced around the 13th Division for a while, but they brought me back pretty quickly. So I have a considerable amount of time of my career in Hazmat Company 1. Yeah, that sounds like close to 20 years, right? Yeah. And you're, uh, I think, widely regarded as one of the experts there, for sure. Today, we're here to talk about something that's on everybody's radar, especially after the past few months. We'll talk about lithium-ion batteries. It's such a broad topic. Maybe we'll talk about broadly about lithium-ion batteries, and then we'll narrow our focus into what we see affecting our, our day-to-day and what's been happening in the city over the past year. Sure. So we talk about batteries and energy storage. This is something the fire department's dealt with for a long period of time. We've had lead-acid battery backup systems for as long as we basically had electric. So one of the new challenges is the lithium-ion batteries, particularly in the mobility devices. It's a specific type of battery chemistry, and under certain conditions can fail. And when they fail, we have toxic gases, we have flammable gases, and we actually have a potential for an explosive situation when we're inside. And these mobility devices, they're capital investments. A cheap e-bike is $1,500. So people are bringing them into their private dwellings. If you don't have a garage, they're putting them right behind the apartment door. They're charging them. And there's a lot of challenges for the fire service, not just the hazmat company. The regular line units are being confronted with these challenges long before a hazmat response is generated. So we want to talk today about first engine, first truck, first chief. How can these impact the fire ground? Because Most of the time we're encountering them, it's not coming across as a battery run, it's coming across as a fire. And in the fire suppression, we're discovering these batteries. Yeah, absolutely. My concern is us responding to a ordinary fire in a multiple dwelling, a private dwelling, where it didn't start because of a lithium ion battery. However, it exposes a lithium ion battery that could rapidly change fire conditions for our first responders. An ordinary mattress fire could turn into something rapidly deteriorate, which creates conditions that are extremely hazardous to our members. So the batteries, we are seeing the cause of fires, yeah. right? So we're seeing an increase where the, the battery device is the cause of the fire. Yeah, so it's failing then, It's right? failing. And why? Why are these failing? So there's a number of different reasons why a lithium-ion battery can fail. You can have a defective battery coming from the factory. Even reputable companies 
can have defective batteries get out into the field and necessitate recalls. But recalls aren't always 100% effective. Mechanical damage. And we see this with the mobility devices, jumping curbs going on city streets. These can all damage the battery cell. Water intrusion, right? We use these in the rain. When the delivery driver's driving in the rain. Salt on the roads. Salt, water, exposure to heat. Not just from a fire, but somebody's charging their mobility device next to a radiator. We've had it where they're charging mobility devices in boiler rooms. All of these reasons cause a battery to fail. And that's not extreme heat either, but that's just something that you identify as something that could create the situation where one of these batteries could fail. Right. If it's already maybe compromised, again, these are in skateboards and bicycles and exposed to stresses that maybe they weren't designed for. Right. And then when you look at this heat generated in the charging cycle, so you have an external heat source, you have heat internally from the charging cycle, and then just some poor quality products, defective chargers, secondhand batteries, secondhand chargers. There's a lot of DIY going on with batteries. Why do you think we're seeing so many in this city? Is it we're a city of 8 million plus people? Because it seems to us every other day we're seeing some type of fire and lithium ion is being mentioned. We're actually on some days we're having multiples. I had a 24 where I had four e-bike fires in a 24. It's a lot of miles for hazmat one. Yeah, we drive a lot. <laughs> so certainly dense urban environment. This is one of that last mile solution. You know, it helps bridge public transportation, certainly parking. It, yeah, it's a it's solution. Custom, it's custom made for, for, right. for it's, dense it's made. It's made for this city. A lot of people can't afford a car in this city, but you can get up to car speeds so you can travel around this city. It's very convenient. So I think, and especially as the price point comes down, I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more of these. You know, just like when we had the switch to energy efficient windows, tactics and procedures changed. Now I think we're just always going to have to anticipate that we could have a battery in the structure fire. The modern fire environment is so toxic already with what the fire retardants and everything we deal with, but this is just another curveball being added to it. Right, and significantly, of course, there's a toxicity hazard, but the fire conditions can change. They can deteriorate rapidly. You could see a dramatic increase of fire in the apartment or in the building. I guess the best analogy would be like a wind-driven fire when the, when the glass fails, because now, unexpectedly, yeah. now there's just a tremendous amount of a bigger volume of fire. Yeah, but when energy efficient windows started coming around, you could identify them, right? A windy night, you could identify. But moving into a, in zero visibility, an apartment in an MD or a private dwelling or a basement or a commercial taxpayer, we had one the other night, or a delivery person's bicycle was plugged in, and that's the unknown. That's really what, what's creating a lot of challenges for this department, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We always wanna have that in our mind when we're entering the apartment, certainly we see these very often, especially when we talk about the bikes, very often they're charging behind the door, which not only is it a fire hazard from the battery, it's an entanglement hazard. We're kind of used to that, yeah. but now the entanglement hazard goes on fire. That's more challenging. We've gone into studio apartments and found a dozen mobility devices because yeah. they were charging them or they had a little side business and- Swap out batteries, you have spare batteries. Yeah. You mentioned business and having multiple. What about the, the fleet companies? Like you see scooters all over the city and, and somebody swaps out those batteries. Since Hazmat One is doing these runs, what is your unit seeing? 
Yeah, so we've talked to some of the companies and we found some very interesting challenges, which again, we don't have that identification. Right? When you go into the apartment, we don't know it's there. So some of the companies, what they do is they have embedded communications in these rental devices and they'll actually send the company out with a minivan and they'll swap the batteries out overnight. And that minivan has close to a thousand pounds of batteries in it. No so placards required. No, pla no placards required. So you think you're just going to a minivan fire and it's not going to behave like a minivan. You're going to see as batteries fail, just tremendous volume of fire coming from this minivan. And it's going to turn into an event. You could follow that chain also. You know, I'm, I'm sure they have storage, you know, warehouses full of vehicles, warehouses full of batteries, and the commerce through some of our major arteries, some of the 18-wheelers, you know, this, this is something we have to be on guard for. Right. I've seen electric scooters on subway trains. Right. So this is going to be a new challenge for the fire service and governments, and we're going to have to respond accordingly. Yeah, we're going to have to adapt. All levels of government. It's not just a fire department issue, and those conversations are taking place. But you actually will see over in Europe, there are some systems where you're not allowed to bring mobility devices in subways. You certainly never would want to bring a mobility device in an elevator. You know, go on social media and, and search electric scooter fire, and you'll have no shortage of videos but somebody pulled one onto a, an elevator and it, it let go. And there was another person on there with him. Yes. In the email that was sent out to the companies, they have a couple of videos that are referenced. And they're very impressive when you see... I think they're a need, you need to see it. Take a look at those videos and see what happens when these things fail. Right. The things to take notice of, the, the volume of the gases that are coming out of these devices. And you could easily have an explosive event. They can burn... They can vent and fail and not have an ignition, but we've gone to events where cinder block walls have been cracked from the explosion. It's a bicycle. It's a bicycle with a battery, and we're cracking cinder block walls. Let's go back to our operations. We have a fire. Now we knocked it down. We're in the overhaul stage, and now we find batteries. What has to be removed? If we have a battery that was involved in a structure fire, it is eventually going to have to be removed. It is now considered a damaged battery. It has to be disposed of properly. And the big thing that's a challenge for us is they don't behave like fires do. We put water on fire, we extinguish, we look with thermal imaging camera, we do a visual inspection. We're pretty confident that we've extinguished the fire. Thermal imaging camera, no heat. These batteries will fail. They talk about thermal runaway. It's a little misleading because you think, oh, it's a I, cascading I, event, it's a but cascading it, could be, event. it could be completely dormant. You can look at the camera on the battery, have it cool, and then seconds to minutes later, it could ignite. So it's not predictable, and that's a challenge for us. So that leads us to our first tactic. One of our first tactics is if you are in a room with a battery, you have to have all your PPE on and you have to be breathing the air out of your mask. Because when they fail, they fail so rapidly, you're not going to be able to adapt to that condition. Extinguish with water is effective as an initial extinguishing agent. It doesn't mean that it won't reignite, but water is effective. Some of the units have put them in buckets of water. They can fail even if they're submerged in water. One of the things, just as a little review for everybody out there, there are hazmat assets in all five boroughs. So if Hazmat 1 isn't available, you have Hazmat technician engines. And yeah, and you that's have, for the dispatcher to us. Right, and, and you have the 
squad companies. So they all have some training and some additional equipment to deal with battery emergencies. So you should be able to have them at your scene fairly quickly because of the way the system is, is built up. Right. Initial actions, we talked about the PPE, getting water on that battery as soon as possible. Some members of the department have done some really good heads up actions and they've taken the batteries and they've put them in the shower, turn the shower on or, or soak them in the tub completely underwater. They've found any type of pail or bucket and they've put them in there. Now that's not a guarantee that the battery won't fail, but it's certainly, it's a good tactical option. Now, one of the things which we haven't talked about yet is like how these batteries are comprised. They have some standard sizes, but they're a little bit bigger than a double A, about the size of a shotgun cell, and they kind of build them up. And you might have 40 of those cells in a mobility device, and an EV, a car, may have 7,000 of those cells. And when they fail, a lot of times they'll be ejected out of the original container, and that will affect our tactics. Certainly, the tactic of sweeping the floor in front of us when we advance the line, it'll push the cells away from us. We have to account for those cells during the overhaul process. We want to check the floor before we start opening up walls and pulling ceilings because we don't want to bury those cells underneath the fire debris because that could be a potential reignition at some point in the future. So we want to really be observant of them. And like we talked about scooters, e-bikes, they have these one-wheel things. Yeah, I've seen them. Long skateboards. I've gone to a number of them, you know, recently. Yeah. Uh, and they all have these cells in them. So look for ejected cells. Full PPE when we're operating around them or certainly if we're moving them. If we remove them from a structure, they're never going in an elevator and that's hazmat one or hazmat units yeah. operations of actually removing them from a building. Cause we could find these on the upper floors of a high rise. Yeah, Some of the multiple dwellings being built to great heights. Now you have to remove multiple lithium ion batteries that are damaged, right? Right. So if there was a fire in a room and we have to overhaul the room and we remove them to another part of the apartment, like we talked about in the, in the bathroom, in the shower or in a bucket. Now we can operate how we normally would during overhaul and when the hazmat units come in they'll actually package the battery properly for disposal and removal from the building so damaged batteries obviously a watch line until uh, a determination is made by yeah so the, the incident commander should consult with the hazmat branch when that comes when we had an e-bike store in corona we had over a thousand pounds of batteries in there and the recommendation was that until every battery is removed from the structure, we have to have a watch line in place. It's challenging because yeah. we're talking operational periods. We're, we're talking greater than 24 yeah. hours in some cases to, to get the properly licensed contractor to get everything removed. So certainly that's a different view on tactics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about for a minute the hazardous gases that are emitted and why SCBA use is our greatest defense there's at least a half a dozen gases that are released when a battery fails. The common ones, which we may have some familiarity with, is hydrogen, which is a flammable and explosive gas, and hydrogen fluoride, which is a corrosive, toxic gas. And the interesting thing is, even if it's completely submerged in water, these gases will come out of the water. So it's not safe. So I could have a battery underwater fail the gases come up and is 
from a explosive and flammable standpoint, and even the toxicity with the hydrogen fluoride, that environment is still there. You're not safe just because it's in a bucket of water. So that's why we're stressing that if you're in the room with the battery, that you have your mask on. Yeah. All right. How about you explain to us what does Hazmat One do when they get there? In my research, I, I learned a little bit more, and we talked about regulations, how the, the city is going to have to adapt. And to quantify that, you need documentation. So maybe you could just explain Hazmat's role. First, we'll start off tactically, and then maybe you could talk a little bit about the documentation and what that's used for in conjunction with the fire marshals. After the scene is stabilized by our initial arriving units, we're going to have other resources come in, some of them are the hazmat units. The batteries will touch multiple parts of our department. Bureau of Fire Investigations has a very keen interest because very often this is the cause of the fire. Fire prevention has interest in this, right? What type of occupancy are the things that can change? So we have communications with all of them. And then ultimately, how are we disposing of this product? So these are all things that will be considered when the hazmat units arrive. So as far as documentation, we try to gather information. And the first arriving units can do this. The name of the person, what type of vehicle was, what type of battery it was, was it charging, was it in use? Some of that information is really good to, to try and capture. Yeah, you might be able to get that from the occupant. You might be able to get that from the occupant yeah. or the user. And then we're going to take pictures for the fire marshal because we're going to package this up for safe disposal and we don't want the fire marshals to have to unpack the battery. Of course, fire is a destructive process. We package this up for safe disposal by the hazmat units taking the pictures. We're saving that information for the marshals and documentation purposes. Created some data on the whole thing. Correct. That documentation and how that could be helpful for us is you might identify a specific type battery that is becoming a problem around the city. Yeah, so we're, we're looking for trends. Obviously, this has helped our public education campaign. We've done a number of different social media outreaches about charging your batteries. So we noticed that trend and we're responding with community education. We've also had dialogue with like UL, Consumer Product Safety Commission. If we can identify something that gets pulled from the market or modified, and the key to that is the documentation. Also, what we're doing is we talk about safe packaging. So what do we do? So water is a good initial tactic. But these batteries can fail underwater, and I actually have some videos that we use in our training of them actually burning underwater. And when they fail underwater, the gases come out, and that same explosive, flammable, toxic gas now comes out of the water. So again, backing up to our tactics, if you're in the room with a battery, even if it's in a bucket of water, you need to have your, your mask on. So we'll pack it in a fire suppression agent, and the one we're using is called cell block. It's a class D rated agent. If the battery does fail while it's in the drum, it'll suppress the fire. And this way it's safely packaged and Department of Sanitation has a hazmat unit and they're going to take the drum of overpacked batteries for disposal. So hazmat's gonna make the notifications to sanitation and they're gonna pick it up from the scene. Evolving procedures currently if we can store it in a safe location, we don't need to leave a watch line with the drum and sanitation will pick it up the next business day. You notify them where? Right. So Monday through Friday, nine to five, you're going to get a response. It is considered mitigated if it's in the drum with the fire suppression agent. So if it's after business hours, they'll come the next day. 
so that's important information for the incident commander. Yeah, absolutely. like how do I how do I terminate this incident? Yeah, when is it over exactly? Right. You know, a watch line is taking a, a unit out of service, so to increase the availability of our units, that's a, an important thing to know. So just circle back to that, so there's no confusion. When we talked about the e-bike store, the reason why we had the watch line is because the volume of batteries was beyond the capability of FDNY to safely mitigate. So we had to get a contractor. And until the contractor could remove all the batteries from the premises, that's why the watch line mm -hmm. was in place. But single mobility device, that's certainly something Absolutely, that yeah. FDNY can safely mitigate and hand off to sanitation for removal. Yeah. How about uh, the vehicles? What is Hazmat One seen? Have you been called to many uh, vehicle fires uh, involving these batteries? We haven't had an extensive amount of them, but the same challenges that you have, you know, heat, impact can all cause these vehicle fires. And, and really to, to delve into the topic, it should be a separate podcast. It's only going to increase. We talk about energy storage for battery backup systems now transitioning from different chemistries to more lithium ion based. So we're just going to see more and more of them in all of the spaces that we operate in. For a lot of our audience that might not be familiar, maybe you could explain the HAZMAT's tiered response in the FDMY. Yeah, tiered response is a very interesting concept. It actually is built off of the training levels in NFPA 472. And the idea is not everybody has to be trained to the hazmat technician level to contribute at a scene. And we've built redundancies and scalability into the FDNY hazmat response. So we're a very large city, very spread out geographically. We have one dedicated hazmat unit, but we have lots of different trainings. Every Every firefighter, every EMT, every paramedic gets trained to the hazmat operations level in their respective academies. We have about 3,500 of our members that are trained above the operations level. And the next level of training is decon engines and chemical protective clothing truck companies. They'll get an additional 24 hours of hazmat training. And they're designed to wear chemical protective clothing and do ambulatory and non-ambulatory decon and they'll be spread out across all five boroughs. Then we move on to SOC support ladder companies. They get 40 hours of additional hazmat training and they get those previous two modules, but they also get air monitoring capabilities and they can help us set up zones. They can verify decon post and pre. And there are usually more than one in every division, right? Absolutely. So yeah. by having these additional units, we can get them to the scene, to the incident commander fairly quickly. And then Hazmat technician trained units get 120 hours of initial training. The rescue companies have 120 hours of hazmat training, but our full-fledged hazmat technician units that get all the tools and equipment to go along with that training are our eight squads, our four hazmat technician engines. So you're gonna have at least two hazmat technician trained units per borough, and some will have more. So even though there's only one hazmat company, we'll call them our hazmat specialist because that's our primary role within the department is hazardous materials response. There are plenty of capabilities in New York City. We have the ability to handle multiple simultaneous incidents in New York City, or if there was ever a tax on critical infrastructure, each of the five boroughs is designed to be able to stand on its own. John, appreciate you coming down. You're super knowledgeable. I appreciate you helping us get the word out and uh, 
hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Chief. The, the Hazmat Group, the Hazmat Battalion, Hazmat Company 1, and the units that are in that response matrix, we're all there to provide guidance to the incident commander. So please reach out, whether it's a telephone conversation, a drill, actually on the scene, we're here to assist the field units and help keep them safe. Yeah, and that's been my experience. So thanks again. Thank you, Chief. Thanks for listening to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to FDNYPro.org. FDNY Pro is online at FDNYPro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.